Welcome to Talking Nutritionally. I'm Ellie McLean, your host and nutritionist. Through this podcast, I hope to connect you with the answers to your biggest nutrition-related questions. Each week, I interview experts in their field from training to hormone health, fertility, body composition, metabolic health, gut health, and so much more. We cover it all because it all influences you achieving peak health and performance. I hope you enjoy tuning in each week. If you do, please be sure to follow me for more via Instagram at Nutritionally. And please also be aware that this show is not intended to treat or diagnose any health conditions. And if you do need tailored support, please explore more at Nutritionally.com. In episode 10, I speak with Nat Kringudis, an expert in natural health for women with over 17 years clinical experience. She's a degree qualified traditional Chinese medicine doctor, an author, speaker, and all-round natural fertility expert. She treats women and their hormones at all stages of life. However, in this interview, we dial in on long COVID. We look at the research and that explains the trends she is seeing in clinic regarding risk factors and likelihood for long COVID. This is obviously just the beginning when it comes to better understanding implications for COVID on women's health. And we thank Nat for bringing her experiences to light. So let's dive into the show. Okay. I'm very excited for this conversation. Um, Nat, thank you for being here and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Um, I'm excited about it because I love your Instagram content at the moment. I find it the perfect balance of like entertainment and education. Um, And I've also got a lot of respect for what you've been doing over the last I believe 17 years in the industry yeah. and really paving a way for women and women's health and hormone balance. So yeah, that's why I'm very much looking forward thank to this you. conversation. Yes. <laughs> Me too. Thank you. It's such a pleasure. And you know how it goes. It just evolves into something. You don't always choose where it goes. It just takes you on a path and here we are. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I wanted to talk specifically about long COVID because you have been sharing on that and from my understanding a bit because of your own personal experience, maybe also just needing to fill a gap because there's not that much information out there Mm -hmm. specifically in regards to women's health. Um, So maybe just share, you know, a bit about your experience with long COVID. What's what's brought you into practicing in the area? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I never wanted to become an expert in COVID and I don't know that we can still call anyone that much of an expert in COVID because an expert's defined by someone that's done more than 10,000 hours. And I don't know that many of us have had the experience um, of that, but we got COVID when you weren't allowed to have it (laughs) last year, the start of October. It was dirty. Um, It was like dirty at that point. it It was so dirty. And I remember turning to my husband and saying, oh, what are we going to do? Like, how am I going to navigate this? First of all, I had to close the clinic for two weeks. I think people are going to figure it out at this point. Mm. Um, but secondly, I was really worried about the patients and I was also worried about um, my, you know, people that that do show up online and, and follow along um, because it was just so taboo. And it was very interesting. We were very measured. I waited until I had been through the worst of it and then I, you know, did, I got on there and I'm like, hey guys, we've had COVID, which we were then inundated with messages because 
we were the first of many people's um, experience of someone that they knew or that they mm. thought they knew or that they watch and interact with as having COVID. Mm. So we were getting messages saying, I don't know anyone else that's had COVID. Thank you for sharing this. It's nice to see you're alive. Yeah. Because this was at the point where we were all going to die. Um, and, you know, mm. here I am showing up four or five days later and I still felt pretty rubbish, but I was able to share that and I think that was really important to be transparent um that's also how I am I can't not be so Mm. we continue to talk about it and then of course when the floodgates opened in um December around Christmas Mm. we were a next level inundated with questions and I remember one random I was on holiday um it was between or maybe around New Year's and um and I really enjoy that time because I don't get to not work and close the clinic and we only do that once a year so I I really treasure that time yeah but I remember saying to my husband I think I'm just going to open up a half day on the Tuesday there's so many people with questions I can't support them on Instagram that's not fair to their health and it's not fair to my time um so I'm just going to open up half a day so I did and within 20 minutes all the appointments were gone and I was only offering 15 minute consultations and so then I opened up all of Tuesday then I opened up all of Wednesday. Before I knew it, I had three days straight, 15-minute back-to-back COVID support wow. appointments, and I never thought that would be the case. So we helped hundreds of people, and then we had the opportunity of also testing antibodies, which really at this point in time and even then had no other purpose other than I think it's important to confirm if you've had a virus mm. of any description, not just COVID, and have that on paper rather than just an anecdotal yeah. or maybe a rat test or maybe PCR. So anyway, fast forwarding to, well, you know, I can't say I'm an expert, but I have had a lot of experience at this point in time. And then watching the long COVID and that wildly fascinated me because I still have ongoing symptoms of COVID. So mm. um being able to look after myself and I would consider myself prior to COVID pretty healthy. Having said that, I don't know that anyone in Melbourne or surrounding areas were healthy because we'd been locked up for so long um, that I think it was the perfect, perfect environment for COVID to actually go crazy Mm. because our immune systems were so compromised. And so here we are, we're treating lots of people now with ongoing COVID symptoms. And what's particularly interesting is the ongoing COVID symptoms in relation to hormones for women, we're seeing all sorts of things um, that were either pre-existing and been reactivated or brand new that women have never experienced before, um, but suddenly have a bunch of symptoms. Yeah. And this is what I'm interested to hear about primarily because it does come up in, it comes up in my clinic as well. Women noticing changes to their cycle. Um, What are the common patterns and themes that you're seeing in terms Mm. of disruptions? You know, is it is it anovulatory cycles or, yeah, PCOS yeah, so flaring? What are you noticing? Yeah, so here's the thing with that. It, there is no rhyme or reason to it. It's mm. everything and, and everything in between. I think initially the vaccine we could say, and there is definitely research um, and studies to prove that that did cause a temporary disruption to the menstrual cycle for women for up to three months. Mm. A lot of women were reporting, and it's obviously going to depend on where you are in your cycle as to what it's going to do. That's the other hard reason, I think. Mm. It's hard to define the impact because if you haven't ovulated yet, you have to ovulate generally to get a a period or a bleed. Mm. But it seemed to be sparking bleeding for women, whether we don't know because we weren't testing them at the time, whether they'd ovulated or not. Mm. or that perhaps for some women it was actually, and this is, comes down to genetics at the end of the day, but 
if they were predisposed to um, longer cycles, whether that's PCOS or for, you know, other reasons, um, they were seeing really long cycles when they'd actually recovered or got themselves to a point where they were managing their symptoms. So, mm. you know, bleeding was, ten- that tended to be the common, I guess the most common symptom that women were talking about. Mm-hmm. And I had my period when I had COVID as well, and it just didn't stop. It just kept going and going and going and going. Um, and so that was the other thing that outside of the vaccine, then women getting COVID, we were seeing temporary changes as well, which were again researched and confirmed that there was, um, you know, there was inflammation that presented within the uterus that was actually then having that impact Mm. on the cycle. So we know that COVID seems to, for whatever reason, the spike proteins seem to um, be attracted to the ovaries. We know it does cause temporary, temporary inflammation in the uterus and that in itself can be wide and varied in the symptoms that we're seeing. Mm. And is there, I don't know if this is go, this, this goes beyond what you've been able to piece together, but is there is there an influence of when having COVID falls? So if, you know, if you become symptomatic pre-ovulation versus post-ovulation, does that change the likelihood of it mm. ta- changing Good question. your question. I suspect, I suspect, well, it has to have an impact because where, you're, where you are and what your hormones are doing at those two times is different. So, you know, it makes sense that, but I don't think that we have that information. I don't know that we're ever going to have that information. And also I had Delta, um, whereas most people now experiencing Omicron, their symptoms are far less problematic, um, you know, that almost mimic uh, either a bad cold or pretty much a cold for some people. Mm. Um, So I think what we previously saw and what we're seeing now are, different as well and that again comes down to your predisposition at this point in time um and 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 same with the recovery but like I said you know the rest of my family are recovered um my husband he was horribly sick but recovered completely whereas I mean I was sick and I was probably the sickest I've never had the flu so I've got nothing to compare it to but um I was very unwell but I still can't smell I have Really? really? Um, so it's been really. almost what? It's been ten months. I think it's about eight months. It's a you long time. And not every and yesterday I was getting my nails done and I said, "Oh my goodness, I think I can smell that." And the woman looked at me like I was crazy and she goes, "Yes, it's acetone." And I'm like, "No, but you don't understand. I haven't been able to smell anything, and that stuff's so potent. To think that you can't smell something like acetone yeah. is crazy, right?" Mm. Um, so anyway, it, it's slowly coming back, I think. Mm. Um, but there's certainly things I cannot smell and there's certainly things that um, it, it seems to change. It, uh, there's an underlying smell. First of all, it was like a burnt citrus smell. Now it sort of smells like nachos all the time. It's very strange. <laughs> I can't explain it. <laughs> Can you smell the majority of what you're eating and drinking? Like if, no. You know, if no, there's coffee brewing, could you smell that? No. No, I can't. I, and I even was in the city a little while ago now, but I was standing next to a gentleman and I was waiting for my Uber and he just smiled at me, but he kind of looked at me a bit strange. I'm like, I don't know why he 
always looking at me like that. Anyway, <laughs> turns out he's just sitting there smoking and I was had absolutely no idea. I couldn't smell it at all. But I think as a non-smoker standing next to a smoker was really, he must have thought this woman's strange. Like why would she stand right there yeah. knowing that I'm blowing this at her? And I'm like, I could not smell it at all. So it's very interesting. And I think that comes down to inflammation that still exists within um, my brain, which is quite concerning, or at least that's impacting my olfactory nerves. So, you know, we do know that there's sort of five main um, reasons that people are experiencing long COVID in, in what the research is telling us. And I'll quickly tell you now what they are. Go for it. Um, there is, re- you know, remnants of the virus or not ever recovering from the virus, um, which makes sense. There are certain people that still haven't necessarily recovered. I'd say yeah. that I've recovered from the virus. I don't have a cough or I don't have any of those respiratory symptoms. Yeah. Um, but that can be a reason and a contributing factor. Okay. Um, what's and also specific... Sorry, just to interject. Sorry. And also a good yeah. reason to confirm if you have, like, to try and confirm if you have had it. Would you agree? Like, you yes. know, rather than 100%. saying, oh, my sister had it and I felt sick, I had it. It's 100%. actually confirm that you've got it so you get over it properly. I And I can talk about the antibodies in a minute. But, yeah, so remnants of the virus. And I just think anyone should have that information on paper. You know, once upon a time I was asking people if they've had glandular fever, which we knew was activating certain, um, you know, um, autoimmune conditions within the body. Now I think we're going to be asking, you know, have you had COVID, which at this point who hasn't? Um, I haven't. But there are still people. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. There are still people that haven't had it just like yeah. you. And, we'll see how long that lasts for. <laughs> well, this is the thing, but that's again comes down to genetics. So then we know it activates or reactivates autoimmune conditions for people, um, which is the thing I think we're going to see most uh, involved with people's reproductive health, endometriosis, PCOS, whilst they're not necessarily classified as autoimmune, we definitely treat them as such, especially endometriosis or adenomyosis. Um, It uh, does activate inflammation, as I spoke about, so that's another reason that we can see ongoing symptoms. Um, Cognitive impairment, a lot of people will speak about um, how that's, you know, the circulatory system and how it impacts that. Um, just in terms of brain fog and not being able to remember things. And then also uh, respiratory, like if you have pre predisposed respiratory condition, um, we're seeing that that can be a factor in contributing to long COVID. But I mean, in my research, 30 to 40% of people who have had COVID will go on to experiencing long COVID. Mm-hmm. Long COVID is defined by something that's more than two weeks, but is ongoing mm-hmm. um, over a certain period of time. So it's very interesting and I don't think we know the full picture yet, but I do agree we should be getting that information so that we can utilise that to then as another piece of the puzzle. If I'm showing with antibodies, and this is actually in my instance, my antibodies are off the chart. Um, I had them done again last week. They're still off the chart mm. and that's not normal for what we're seeing. Okay. Um, so when- finally we've been able to decipher between the virus and vaccinated because that was a really big question as well people were having for me and Mm -hmm. truthfully I would say maybe 60% of the people I was seeing were vaccinated so 40% weren't Mm. um, or still weren't yet Um, so I feel like we had a really good uh, sample of people and it's so funny because you expect something in your head to go a certain way based on what you've seen from other people so, you know, you put it together, you think, oh, yeah, they must be vaccinated or they mustn't be vaccinated. And it was very interesting to see how that played out as well. So, so fascinating. But 
yes, we can now differentiate between COVID antibodies and vaccine antibodies, which I think is especially important for people because they, they're, they're different. They, so is, they present different. So is it actually a different test or is it no. a, a looking at the what like, the result on the test, like how big the number is? Yeah, no, it's the same test and it tests for both um, types of antibodies. So there's sort of um, it, the to, the previous test was just testing for the spike protein antibody, mm-hmm. um, which um, is the, sorry, no, the previous test was testing for the IgG COVID-19 antibody, which was the one that tells you if you've had COVID or not. Um, but the um, spike protein um, also te- is able to identify whether or not you've got antibodies from the vaccine. So a lot of people were coming back low or no before because it was just testing whether you'd had COVID or not. Mm. Um, Now we can separate them and see whether your antibodies, what they're a result of, because you kind of want to know if you've got long-going symptoms. Um, And also because there are people that may have reacted to the vaccine as well, which um, is another layer again. So, you know, Mm. there's so many layers to this that are so new for us. Um, I think we've just got to get as much information as we possibly can and then work out our predisposition, work out our family history to be able to piece it all together. Yeah. So what you just talked through before in terms of history of inflammation, cognitive impairment, they're not necessarily, are they the factors that you used to determine um, someone's risk of long COVID? Like, or can we sort of say off the bat that if someone has an autoimmune condition or um, a metabolic condition that they are at greater risk of long COVID? Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, no, I don't think we've defined whether they are, but they, mm. if, sorry, actually, if you have a history of those things, you are more likely to develop long COVID. So we know that, but there are people that also don't know their history. Mm. So this is where I think looking down the family line is very important. We should always be doing that anyway. Um, you know, if your mum had endometriosis, chances are you have those genetics to develop that too, whether you develop it or not is up to well, it was up to, you know, environmental factors really, isn't it? And mm. that doesn't just mean the ethos. That means what are you eating? You know, how are you sleeping? All of those things as well. So, um, you know, there's, again, not loads of information yet, but that's what we do know. We do know that people that have had, um, there are definitely factors that we can say are in a higher category of developing long COVID. Yes, mm-hmm. I guess to answer your question. Well, I mean, that's really helpful information because I had a, a, you know, a consultation with a client um, a couple of weeks ago who has Hashimoto's. So she's got mm-hmm. high, high um, thyroproxidose antibodies, still working on getting those down. But, you know, in that moment she had COVID and she was 10 days in and the sickest she had ever been and was questioning whether or not she should have had the vaccine because she was talking to her neighbour, and this is very anecdotal, but she was talking mm-hmm. to her neighbour who hadn't had the vaccine and, you know, sailed through her, her COVID experience. And this particular client had had the vaccine, was, you know, the sicker she had ever been. I'm talking vomiting, fever, couldn't get mm-hmm. out of bed, you know, um, couldn't look after a child. And, you know, she was blaming it on the vaccine. Um, but so if... if if people can know, all right, well, it's not something like the vaccine or it's not just me, I'm, you know, quote unquote weak or have a bad immune system, but understanding that there's some things out of their control, like the history of autoimmunity, 
you know, that just I think takes the pressure off somebody trying to blame other things for why they might have bad COVID oh, or long COVID. Totally. Totally, but I think everything has to be considered. I also think that a lot of people had a very long time to get themselves in a good position to cope with COVID and didn't and panicked last minute. Mm. We knew this was coming, you know, like whether or not you think you're superhuman or not, whether or not there are people out there that don't even believe that the virus exists. Um, whatever Hopefully there's believe, not many of those people now. Well, I still got that when I had it and I was like, guys, I am really sick. Like yeah, I'm not one to, I'm, yeah, this is, this is whatever you want to call it. That's the way I kept saying to people, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't worry me. All I know is I'm really unwell. Um, and and so, you know, that was interesting when people were saying that as well. I think, like I said, we had time to get ready for this in many areas, not just a vaccine. I think that's where people were let down. They thought yeah. that that's all they needed. Mm. And unfortunately, not everyone can have a vaccine. Not everyone responds well to any vaccine. Um, mm. It's not to say I'm here to argue whether you should or shouldn't have it. It's just the nature of medicine. Mm. Um, so the best thing I think anyone could could have done is get themselves ready, um, look after themselves and, and really support their immune system as much as possible so that when they got it, they fared okay. Um, and, you know, like I said, my husband was extremely unwell and he wasn't taking anything in the lead up to getting sick. I was taking mm. some supplements in the lead up to getting sick. We're never going to know whether or not that actually was the reason. <laughs> but I'd like to think that the things that I was doing to be proactive helped me to get through that and recover. I also have a history of, um, I have a history of, you know, autoimmune and the, it's very interesting with COVID, it tends to um, get you where you're weakest. Yeah, hits your weak spot. That's definitely something right? I've noticed. And mm. so that's the other thing when I had it and I was talking about the symptoms that I had, they weren't actually noted yeah. COVID symptoms. So I had the, when we had COVID, we were at the point where you still had like basically um, you had phone calls every day, you had the DHH visit, um, sorry, the army visit to make sure you're at home. Um, it was still very regimented. And anyway, the doctor would call and ask for the symptoms and I would tell them and they'd say, well, that's not COVID. And I'm like, well, I don't know what else it is. And I have a positive PCR test, but the body pain for me was excruciating. I had eye pain that was out of this world. Um, and so, you know, it was very interesting because as a child also I had, um, I had Ross river and I had the same symptoms. So it was really interesting that, that it, it was exactly the same presentation again and it was my um, it was my weak spot and that's yeah. where it hit me. So, again, that's genetics at the end of the day. That's my yeah. predisposition and that's why I don't know that we have hard answers to categorise people but I think we need to look at our, our predisposition and our health history um, and do the best we can to get ourselves in the best possible position to recover. Yeah. Um, going back to what you said before, I do agree that, we, we had so long to prepare and we hadn't done it. Um, yeah. You know, I feel like, I feel like being in the industry, I'm in a tiny bit of a bubble because, you know, I, I could prepare myself and, you know, my loved ones with, you know, our knack and our vitamin C and my vitamin mm-hmm. D and, um, and zinc. And, you know, I had proactive clients who asked me about those things, but some clients that just wasn't what we were working on. So, it wasn't necessarily the focus of our consults anyway. Um, but then you've got this greater population who really had no idea about how they could be supporting their immune system because it just wasn't part of 
the message, right? It wasn't part of the government message. The message was to oh, wash your no. hands and Which is, cover your mouth. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Which was why we threw ourselves back into the clinic early on my holidays and started seeing all these patients to support them because they were like, nobody's helping. I, I don't even know what to do. And I'm like, because we were dealing with a big, I think in the government's eyes, they were dealing with a mass crisis. So, you know, the the trusty old vitamin D, zinc, C, NAC, you know, these things weren't seen as critical. Yeah. Um, whereas people still wanted a strategy to get better and mm. Panadol certainly wasn't going to cut it. So, you know, I think you're right. We didn't have, and I, this I was very vocal in saying, and I got myself into quite a lot of trouble for saying that I was very upset with the way that well, that was all handled um, because there was just no foresight in it. It was just moment to moment panic. <laughs> and mm. and that's the bit that I was like, surely someone's got to be able to actually see the bigger picture here. We are going to be okay. We are going to get through this, you know. Um, so it was interesting, wasn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you know, it was, it was fringe to suggest that reducing sugar and not drinking alcohol and focusing on real food would, would help, you know, would help you in your mm-hmm. COVID, you know, your, um, your risk of getting serious COVID. And that shouldn't be fringe because they're all basic for immune support. And of, of course we can layer plenty on that, but right. yeah, it's just incredible to think that that information was considered sort of noise and confusion you know, by the government anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, like I said, we only did that to support people because people were very lost um, and asking for help, like almost begging for help at that point that they were so scared. They either had COVID and wanted support through it or were preparing themselves for it. And kudos to them for doing that at that mm. point. I just still think it was almost two years gone by. Too late. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. In, in, from your perspective, if you think, you know, the government had a really great sort of natural health, immune-supporting campaign that they came out with that was accessible to the, the general population in like 2020, what, what should have been on there? Oh, basic things. And this is the other thing that I will always say that whatever we're doing needs to be accessible and sustainable, right? Like, and supplements are the icing on the cake. So, you know, I mean, I don't know how they could do that. I think we all accept we need vitamin D, but we're all being so scared of being in the sun that how do you turn around and then go, oh, actually, guys, now's okay to be in the sun, but otherwise not. Like, Yeah. yeah. Now the like, risk of not being in the sun is greater than the risk of the sun. So, right. Yeah, you know, ahead. and there's never, it's all scared campaign. That's never, and that's not how I choose to live my life. So I ignore a lot of it, I guess, which some people would say is is negligent or ignorant. But to me, you know, using common sense, uh, is, is always what I encourage people to do. Um, so I would say, I mean, the research from vitamin C, zinc, vitamin D, a probiotic, um, if you just did those things as a basis, I think a lot of us would have fared a lot better. Would it have stopped us getting COVID? Probably not. Um, I don't dispute that it's highly contagious. And I think um, that was where we got let down to a degree was trying to think that we could outsmart that. Um, but I think it would have helped people 
to, and look, here's the other thing, you know, some would argue that it was placebo. Well, so what if it was? Yeah. Does it matter if it works? Yeah. If it helps to get you through more quickly and less, less severely, then it works. And and weren't we going for less of an impact on the medical system? So that's why we need to look at these things. So I don't know, it just, the whole thing was mind boggling to watch. I don't know about you as well, but I've existed in this space of um, complementary medicine for 17 years, 18 years, I've seen this play out before, not in exactly the same way, but with different things that have been presented um, and, you know, been deemed as woo-woo or um, hocus-pocus or whatever you want to call it, and then only to work out down the track, oh, actually, that was fact, you know. (laughs) So I was really happy to sit back and kind of let it play out, which, you know, it was a big experiment, wasn't it? But I do think that nutrition and prioritizing exercise, even if you did that alone, I don't think anyone's arguing with that, are they? Mm. Um, and even but, those things but, were hard to do, you know, right? when we were locked, especially in Victoria, when we were locked right. down for six months, a lot of people found that challenging. I had clients who even said they, they, um, they found being outside and seeing people in their masks that they found that really um, distressing and didn't mm. actually want to be around that. So they, you know that that in, that caused that particular person to sort of turn in and want to stay indoors, which I just I was so well, sad I didn't, for her. Well, <laughs> yeah, I can understand that too. I, I really struggle with the mask, and I still do. Um, I had an exemption; that didn't matter. People treated you like you were a horrible person for not yeah. wearing it, regardless. Um, and it made me not want to go outside. So I spent a lot of time either in my office, in my clinic, or at home because even going to the supermarket for me was stressful mm. because I had to wear a mask. Mm. And the few times that there was, I was having a bad day and I couldn't, that the horrible things people would say, oh. um, you know, like almost like I'd chopped their arm off or stolen their child. Like yeah. it was like, this is crazy. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, yeah, I think unfortunately now everyone has PTSD and that does not help with long COVID either. Um, in terms of these symptoms, there are still a lot of people that are very afraid that we need, the adrenals don't know how to calm down until we show them, Mm. you know, so we need to show our adrenals, hey, it's okay now. Yes, there's still a risk, but there's also a risk that you're going to be hit by a bus or that we might get struck by a meteor. You know what I mean? Like it's, there's a risk to breathing. So I think we just have to work out how we can remind our subconscious that we're okay. I love that you, like, I love that you phrase it in that way. Like we have to remind our subconscious that we're okay. I don't know about you, but (laughs) in clinic, I find that for a lot of people, it's even just acknowledging, oh, wow, I am stressed or Mm -hmm. I am recovering from the last two years of homeschooling and working, you know, just even acknowledging that it's been a really stressful period of time. A lot of, you know, working mums don't even give themselves that grace. You know, it's just head down and keep going. Yeah, um, but I think yeah. First of all, acknowledging there's been a really full-on couple of years for some people, and then secondly, just trying to say it's okay. I, I can give mm-hmm. myself some time to recover from that. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. And I mean, it is. It's been a traumatic experience on not just um, being worried about being sick, but also time away from loved ones, not being able to see people. Um, kids are particularly even the flow-on effect of. I'm watching my daughter and she's in year eight, but she has no idea how to self-regulate because those skills that she would have learned at being at school last year as a year seven student Mm. never got to be discovered. So, you know, but it's expected at this point that she can do that and she can't. And so there's, you know, it's just on so many levels 
the challenges that are there are, um, require us to actually, first of all, be aware that they're there and then obviously do something different so that we can change the trajectory of that. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely, um, definitely changed the course of development for certainly younger people. Mm. Yeah. Delaying getting to kindy or delaying high school or not having a gap year after high school, those sorts of things, which, um, I think most part people are resilient and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll carry on and still be absolutely fine. But it, it is funny to think that, you know, they, you know, some kids won't have had the luxury of a gap year and being able to travel. Yeah. Just simple no, things so like true. that that we would have yes. taken for, for granted. Absolutely. Um, now I'm interested in something you said before. I've been practicing in clinic for six years and in that time, um, the thing that I've noticed is being able, being having, having to get around and explaining is not woo woo is gut health. (laughs) Oh yeah. Um, But I'd be interested to know what the last thing is that you've had to really work through as being, you know, considered woo woo that, you know, isn't woo woo. Oh my goodness. Where do I even start with that? (laughs) The last thing that isn't woo woo. Okay. Probably, um, and we just sort of touched on this, but the impact of stress on the body. I think mm. I think we're at a point where we accept that, you know, we have to do better with our nutrition. We can do better with our movement. We need to prioritize sleep. Like the lifestyle and nutrition part is not revolutionary anymore. Mm. But there are still health providers and specialists, especially in assisted conception, I see this a lot, that will say it doesn't matter. Stress doesn't matter when it comes to your reproductive health. It's like it could not be further from the truth. Um, especially for fertility and the fertility perspective, but trying to say that stress doesn't matter because we can bypass that with pharmaceuticals or medicines to manipulate the way that your body is behaving, um, that only goes so far. And and your body's not silly. We can't necessarily treat, again, the subconscious mind, can we? Um, That's the hardest part. So I think, you know, I get getting patients to recognise that, a, when how, how often are they living in overwhelm? How often are yes. they worried? How often are they stressed? How often is that feeling of I want to be happy but there's that thing on my shoulder that I can't remember but it's always there. Oh, yeah, now I remember. That's right. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff um, which just infuriates me and I think, you know, you cannot separate your physical and emotional health. My background is Chinese medicine. It's all based on 50-50 split between emotions and um physical health so you know we can take care of the physical health with or the physical components or the physiology and biology when it comes to uh in this instance assisted conception but what's taking care of that mental health that Mm -hmm. emotional health and that's that's the bit that's proportionate to stress so you know it's not that you're never going to ever be stressed again it's being able to recognize that you are that's the first part most of us pretend that we're not and we Mm -hmm. keep on living or we get told by other people how stressful our lives must be. That's the one I, I think about all the time, how often everybody else says to me all the time, oh, my gosh, you're so busy. And I'll be like, but am I? Like, <laughs> but I used to buy into it. I used to be like, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. It's like, actually, that's not even my thought. That's somebody else's thought yeah. about how they perceive my life to be. Yeah. yeah. And I have a lot of flexibility. It's it's sometimes busy and sometimes I've got nothing to do. So, you know, like I know it might look busy, but that's why you have a team and you have people to help you. And, 
it's it's it, but it's a perception of that and then yes. we that perception gets pushed onto us so i think being aware of that is very important being aware of the things that other people are telling you and how much of that you're believing Mm. is very important and that's actually true healthcare like believing without beyond a shadow of a doubt that a you're either going to be okay and you can recover from whatever you're experiencing or that you are okay um and and that you know you can always up level though that's the nice thing that that there's no ceiling on it you just keep going and and how how good can you feel yeah um which is a beautiful thought to leave like for people to have is how good can you feel um i often think people was you know being in the space where we're you know, working with people in holistic health is you're often working with people who are just not feeling as good as they used to. And mm. so getting back to how well, you used to feel is one place, but how good could you feel is a, is a whole other place. And beautifully said when you're talking about long COVID as well, because how do I get back to feeling like I did before? I or maybe I will feel different. You know, maybe my smell will never be the same, but I will at least be able to smell things and they're going to maybe smell different. Yeah. Um, whatever that is, as long as I feel good, um, I'm okay with that. So I think, yeah, looking at the long, the long game of that, um, mm. I think is particularly important when we're talking about long COVID, how, how good can I feel is mm. in, in particularly um, important. Yeah, keep it light. Um, <laughs> now you've got a seminar tonight on perimenopause, which obviously will have been um, come and gone by the time um, this interview gets aired. Mm-hmm. But there was a stat you posted recently around stress and perimenopause. Um, you would know it better than I do off, my, off the top of my head, but it was the influence of stress and how that impacts risk of um, more significant perimenopause symptoms. Oh, yeah, that's right. I did. Too. I mean, I'm thinking, what did I actually say? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let me find it. Uh, I can pop it in show notes. 80% more likely to undergo early menopause. There we go. Not significant yes. per- menopause symptoms, but early. No, well, they're more likely. It speeds everything up, right? Because it's aging. Stress yeah, is aging. True. Yeah. So it uh, just speeds it up. So it doesn't even mean that you actually are going through menopause. I had a patient. Have I got time to tell you this? Yes, you do. Yes. Oh, yeah. I had a patient and um, she was perimenopausal. In fact, then had a really highly stressful year. Husband was diagnosed with cancer. He had to go through treatments. It was during COVID. Um, they had to quarantine every time they went in and out of hospitals because they were crossing borders. It was crazy. Mm. Anyway, highly stressful. Period stopped. She's like, safe to say I've, I'm in menopause test results reflected just based on FSH, LH ratios and whatever it looked yep. like she was, you know, yeah, okay. Passed it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, fast forward to life returning back to normal, husband's okay, is recovered. She finally gets to take a breath and settle back down again mm. and gets a period. And she's wow. like, what the heck? And I said to her, let's just get another blood test and have a look. Um she started getting her periods regularly again and she's like, I'm not even menopausal. And I said, well, that's perimenopause and you're walking a fine line um, and, and, you know, your body will speed things up under stress and also prioritises things under stress. You know, it's not even that necessarily, of course, stress would raise her FSH and she was at a point in her life where those hormones were very temperamental. So, you know, nothing is fixed. That's the thing. Until it's, I mean, until you've actually transitioned through menopause. Um, but even then, we were seeing women get um, periods after their vaccine as well. Yeah. Which is crazy that had been through menopause. Like, I mean, years and years postmenopausal. Correct. Having a bleed. So, mm. so I think stress is, again, you can see why I'm passionate talking about that because it's such a feeder 
And we need to work out where our stress actually lies because, you know, again, are we stressed because someone else told us being busy is stressful or are we stressed because our liver's not detoxifying properly and we're not sleeping? You know, it's wildly different things. So we've got to work out what that is. And all of the masterclasses that we're doing, that's what I'm really proud of, that we've been able to really categorize and profile people's symptoms to allow them to treat accordingly. It's not a one-size-fits-all. The idea actually came after doing all those COVID consults back in January. Mm. Um, I I said to myself, this needs to be one to many, not one on one. I'm saying the same thing over and over and over again. They're paying a premium price for a 15 minute consultation. Surely there's a better way to do this. The fine line was that we were prescribing supplements. So how do you do that safely? Um, So these masterclasses now we've created that all the supplements that are recommended are extremely safe. Yes, sure. There's probably more specific things that you could be taking, but let's let's lie a foundation first. Um, profile your symptoms, treat that accordingly, and then see what you're left with. And then do you need to explore? You, you're kind of left with the real root cause of the issue at that point, and you can really treat that quickly. So um, whilst tonight's is around perimenopause, there's another two sitting there. One is the long COVID um, masterclass, and the other one is the um, hormones and post-COVID masterclass. And they were just based on what women were wanting. People are you know, asking. What are they asking for? So We'll, we'll keep on doing these masterclasses. I think they're really um, awesome. I think that it's creating a library for people to go back and tap into and according to whatever's going on for them. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, well, thank you very much for sharing your knowledge via those masterclasses. I'm going to pop links to those in the show notes. Um, thank you very much for sharing your awesome. knowledge here in this interview today. It's so much appreciated and I can't wait to get this um, this episode out to people. Um, is there anything else that you want to share with the audience, anything else that's coming up that you want to sort of, you know, whet people's appetite with or even just some direction on how people can um, connect with you? Sure. Um, on my website, which is just natkringudis.com, is a really simple worksheet that allows you to profile your symptoms to work out your hormone imbalance or what that might be. I think a lot of women identify with being hormonal, but they don't really know what that actually means. Mm. So just getting curious around what your symptoms might be pointing to by being able to profile them um, is a really great starting point for people. So I'd encourage you to go over when you when you hit the website, it just pops up and you can um, quickly access the, the worksheet. It's not a worksheet as such. It's actually like, you know, those Dolly Doctor yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. It's like a quiz from Dolly Doctor. <laughs> it's it. so good because it's it gives you the next step, and I don't think yeah. it allows you to be curious as to what am what is my what are my symptoms Absolutely. mean? Yeah. Um, which I really love. So head on over there, and then of course I'm Nat Kringudis on Instagram. I love hanging out there. I spend way too much time, and I actually don't. I don't spend way too much time. I thoroughly love how Enough much time. time I spend there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, come over and say hi. I'd love that over there. Awesome. Well, I think it's time well spent. Um, But thank you, Nat. Very much appreciated. Thanks. Thanks, Ellie. I hope you enjoyed listening to this week's episode. Now, before you move on to the next thing, get a pen and write down one thing that inspired you from this week's show. That one thing you know you need to go away and start doing differently. Please also remember that this show is not intended to diagnose or treat any health conditions. So if you need tailored support and you'd like to do that with me, please head on over to my website, nutritionally.com forward slash work with me, where you can learn what it means to work with me.